0: Alright, that's a good prayer. Rid me of myself. I belong to you. So I pray that's uh, what will have happen right now. Because I want to tell you, uh, I want the Lord to speak to you as he has spoken to me this week. i tell you, I don't know about you, but I know a lot more about Daniel than I did uh, when we started this thing. So we're going to take a look at the ram, the goat, and the great shepherd. We've been talking about four kingdoms for several weeks now. And I want you to tell me what they are. The first kingdom is Babylon. The second kingdom, Medo-Persia. Right. The third kingdom, Greece. And the fourth kingdom, Rome. All right. So Daniel 1 through 5 dealt mostly with Babylon. Okay, so we've covered that one pretty thoroughly. Last week, we spent a good bit of time talking about the fourth kingdom, which is Rome. So this week, we're going to focus on those two that are left, the second and third. They have not got a lot of attention yet, but we're going to discuss them in chapter 8. Now, Belshazzar was the last king of Babylon. He was the guy that the handwriting on the wall happened to. And he was still reigning when Daniel had the vision that we're going to study today in Daniel chapter 8. So the second, third, and fourth kingdoms that Daniel dreamed about were all future to him. They're all past to us, but they're future to Daniel. This vision is similar to the previous one, uh, but the explanation that Daniel receives is remarkably detailed. From our vantage point in history, we'll be able to look back real easily and fill in the names of the folks that are being talked about. So I'm going to read the whole chapter to let you get your bearings. And uh, then we'll go back and talk about parts of it. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. Now, the Ulai Canal is far away from Susa. So he's saying, "Look, I was in Susa and then I had this vision and I was transported elsewhere. I raised my eyes and saw and behold a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him." And there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. So he has seen this ram that just could do whatever he wanted to do. He'd go where he wanted to go. He'd conquer everybody. But then Super Goat comes on the scene, and is coming across here, not even touching the ground, and he's headed for this ram. "'He came to the ram with two horns, which, I, which had been standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. "'I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns.' And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land, and of course that would be the land of Israel. It grew great, even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it with the regular burnt offerings because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper." Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep and my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. So guys, angels are scary, okay? Uh, we, we see angels as these little naked babies with little bows and arrows. Angels are awe-inspiring. He was scared of this guy, and when, when the angel came, Gabriel, and started speaking to Daniel, he, he went into this comatose state, all right? And the angel had to help him up and say, no, listen to me. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power." And at the latter end of the kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and I went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Now, when Daniel says he didn't understand it, I believe he means he didn't completely understand it as thoroughly as he would like. Well, such is the way of prophecy. We can see the big picture, but as far as the small details, we kind of have to wait and see how those are fulfilled. Imagine, if you will, a couple of biblical scholars before uh, the first coming of the Messiah, and they're sitting around and arguing. And one of them says, you know... The Bible says that the Messiah will be born of a virgin. And I believe he will literally be born of a virgin. The Bible says that Elijah will come as a forerunner of the Messiah. So I believe Elijah is going to come back from heaven in person and be the forerunner of the Messiah. And you would believe that if you weren't a liberal. And then the other guy says, well, hang on a second. I'm not a liberal. I just think maybe we should interpret this symbolically. So maybe Jesus is going to be born, not really literally of a virgin, but of someone who has never defiled themselves with idolatry. And maybe it won't actually be Elijah, but maybe it'll be someone who comes in the power and spirit and authority of Elijah. Well, who would have been right? Both of them would have been half right, right? (laughs) So each one of them would have had half of their prediction true and the, and the other half false so that's why we need to to get these things uh and understand what we can but then hold the rest with a fairly loose hand because we don't know exactly how these things are going to come out to be fulfilled ahead of time but from our perspective in history we can see uh kind of exactly who these players are the first thing i want us to see well let me back up for a second and give you some context The angel here says that these times are the end. Now, I don't think he means the end of everything. I think he means the end of what we're talking about now. Now, this may be fulfilled at the end of what they're talking about now, and then again at the end of time. You know, we talked last week, if you were here, about... God discussing his calling his son out of Egypt speaking of Israel and then that was later fulfilled again as Mary and Joseph and Jesus went to Egypt to escape for a while and then came back and he said I called my son there so it had a double meaning I believe the meaning intended here is most specifically at the end of the events being discussed, not necessarily at the end of time. If Jimmy and I were talking and I said, Jimmy, at the end, would you sing you know, it as well? He wouldn't think I meant at the end of time. He would think I meant at the end of the service, right? So I think the end here is discussing uh, the time that they're, they're talking about. First point is, our sovereign God predicted the rise of Medo-Persia. Verse 3 and 4 say, I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, symbolizing the Medes and the Persians in their union. And both horns were high, they were both strong, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. Now there is no doubt or speculation of who this is because the angel Gabriel tells Daniel this is the Medo-Persian Empire. Now uh, I like that because we can see that in the last chapter we saw a great beast like a bear that was raised up on one side. And I told you that I thought that was also Medo-Persia and that gives us further confirmation that this thing that is has two natures in it but one is stronger than the other one enforces last chapter what we saw about that bear that was raised up on one side verse 20 gabriel explains it to him he says as for the ram that you saw with the two horns these are the kings of media and persia the two great but uneven horns again show the the different relative power of this combined uh, alliance Remember now, when I say God predicted the rise of the Medo-Persian Empire, or our next point where God predicts the rise of Greece, I don't mean that he just foresees it. I mean that he controls and determines it as well as predicts it. So the next thing we see is our sovereign God predicted the rise of Greece and Alexander the Great. As I was considering, behold... Now, he's, he's interested in this ram. So Daniel's looking at this ram, and this ram is powerful and interesting and definitely catching his eye and catching his attention. And he said, As I was considering that guy, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath... I saw him come close to the ram, and he broke the horns, and he trampled the ram, and he just totally decimated that ram. Then the goat became exceedingly great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns, torn the four winds of heaven. Now, from our perspective in history, we would be able to see that what this is talking about is the death of Alexander the Great when this great horn was broken. It said at the height of his power... That great horn was broken, and four more came up, but they weren't as powerful as when Alexander the Great was there. And uh, the, the angel explains this. He says, the goat was the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes was the first king. As for the f- horn that was broken, in place of which other, four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from the nation, but not with his power. And in hindsight, we can see that that is exactly what happened with the death of Alexander the Great. Uh, Greece was divided up, or the, the kingdom that was Greece, was divided up amongst his four generals. Now you've all heard of Alexander the Great. I would guess everybody in the Western world has heard of Alexander the Great. Maybe everybody in the world. But even though he's one of the most influential figures in all of history... He's sort of a footnote here because the focus is not so much on him because he wasn't personally the persecutor of the Jews and of God's people. So next I want us to see that our sovereign God predicted the rise of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Daniel 8, 9 through 14 talks about what this guy is going to do. Out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the glorious land of Israel. It grew great, even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. Now this is is amazing to read. It is saying that this guy, this man, this general who is certainly given his power from the unseen powers that lie behind him he's inspired and empowered by satan but he is able to rout the the people of god he is able to destroy the temple he's about he's able to put an end to the sacrificial system and you've got to wonder, how can he do this? Is, he, is, God winning, you know, is God winning the war but losing this particular battle? <laughs> well, we know that that's not the case because God is sovereign and all-powerful. And so if it looks like he's losing the battle, it's because he is intending to do that in order for judgment to be carried out on his people. And a host will be given over to it. Now, you see how it says it will be given over to it? It doesn't say he'll be able to take it. It says that the host will be given to it with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. In other words, the reason that all this bad stuff is happening is not because God is not able to defend his people. It's not because God is not able to protect his sanctuary. It's because God is bringing judgment on his people who have been so unfaithful to him. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Now that was the original vision. Now we want to look down in verses 23 through 27 to see the angels' interpretation of the vision. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, and again the transgressors are the, the Jewish people here who are being um, chastised, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. In other words, he will be inspired, empowered, and controlled by our ultimate enemy, Satan. And he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken... But by no human hand. So he is going to become so arrogant that it's not enough for him to take over the sanctuary, to uh, deface the sanctuary, to kill the people of God, but he is even going to, he and his master are even going to try to take on God himself, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision. For it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So the Antichrist, this Antichrist, hated the Jews. He was determined to exterminate them and their religion. Uh, He is a really great picture of what the final and ultimate Antichrist will be like. Now, we know that there have been many, many antichrists, right? John tells us, and I think we read that last week. His character and his actions, this Antiochus, and, um, and even the power behind him are characteristic of that final antichrist. Listen to this list of his accomplishments. And I got this from a, a book called Exalting Jesus and Daniel. He devastated Jerusalem in 168 B.C., murdered tens of thousands, defiled the temple, offered a pig on its altar. And you all know that in in Jewish law, a pig is an unclean animal. So this was just intended to be as sacrilegious as could be. He forbade circumcision on pain of death. He sold, according to 2 Maccabees, 40,000 Jews into slavery destroyed all the copies of scripture that could be found. You know, it said that he would throw truth to the ground. He destroyed every copy of scripture he could find and slaughtered everyone found to be in possession of the Torah. He resorted to every conceivable torture to have the Jews renounce their religion. His atrocities led eventually to the Maccabean Revolt in 164 B.C., Judas Maccabees, whose uh, nickname was the Hammer, that's a, if you're going to lead an insurrection, that's a good nickname. He would, uh, he would lead the Jews to victory and the restoration of their worship. The Jewish celebration of uh, Hanukkah, which you know we all know we hear about that around Christmas time, right? Hanukkah is a time of remembrance of this particular deliverance by God for the Jewish people. So this is still something that they celebrate today. Verse 25 told us that Antiochus would be broken, but by no human hand. The Jewish book of Second Maccabees uh, tells about his demise. But the all-seeing Lord, the God of Israel, struck him an incurable and unseen blow, it says. As soon as he ceased speaking, he was seized with a pain in his bowels, for which there was no relief, and with sharp internal tortures. I had that earlier this year and was in the hospital. It was, not, it was no good. And that very justly, for he had tortured the bowels of many others with many and strange afflictions. Yet he did not in any way stop his insolence, but was even more filled with arrogance, breathing fire in his rage against the Jews and giving orders to hasten the journey. And so it came about that he fell out of his chariot as it was rushing along, and the fall was so hard as to torture every limb of his body. That was Second Maccabees 9, 5-7, where they recorded the undoing of this particular Antichrist. Now that, all that is interesting to me, and I hope it's interesting to you. But what does that have to do with us today? Well, let me tell you, we need to see that God will use even the most corrupt leader... And nation as a rod of discipline on his people. Now would you like to think the guy would never let somebody like Kim Jong-un or President Xi take us down? I would like to think that. But I don't. Because I see that God will use even the most corrupt in order to chasten his people. God will punish America eventually. Unless we as a nation repent Now, who or what will be the instrument of God's uh, correction, I don't know. If I had to predict right now, I would say it looks like the most likely candidate is leftist socialist politicians that are going to destroy America. But who knows? Only God knows. So what do we do? Well, we do what Daniel did. In verse 27, he says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for many days, but then I rose... And went about the king's business. That guys is what we are to do. We are to go about the king's business. Now I think Daniel may have meant. (coughs) May have meant Belshazzar. But we know from our study of Daniel that he was constantly about the business of the king of kings. And that is what we are called to do, guys. As it gets darker and darker outside, we are to maybe be distressed about it. Daniel was distressed about this vision. But then we are to get up and go about the king's business. We don't have to guess what the king's business is. Jesus, the king of kings, gave us clear instruction. In Matthew 28, 18 18 through 20, he says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That sounds like a king, doesn't it? A king whose kingdom will reign forever, as we sang earlier. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Guys, that's why we want to build a new campus to reach people. We must do everything we can to reach those around us. Individually, we must do that. We have the freedom to evangelize right now. (coughs) So let's do it. We have the freedom to assemble and to preach, and to pray, and to sing. So let's do it right now. If you have resources that you can invest in the kingdom, do it now while there is time, and while we have life and ability. Now I don't mean to be all doom and gloom. God may bring revival to America. But if He does, I promise you, the way He'll bring revival to America is through His church We don't know how he may bring judgment to America, but we absolutely know the one and only way that he may bring revival to America, and that is through his church. We have to take the message of the gospel to those around us. So just to recap what that is and how simple it is to tell people. We need to tell people that we have a problem, that we have sinned and rebelled against God. And that God is so just and holy that he must punish sin. And so if we're sinners and God has to punish sin, we're up a creek, aren't we? But God solved this problem. We couldn't. God solved this problem in the person of Jesus Christ. Who came and lived the life that you should have lived but couldn't. And was willing and able to die in your place. He died the death you deserved to give you the life that you didn't deserve. And if you put your faith and trust in Christ's work and Christ himself and then repent of your sins, you can exchange your sins for Christ's righteousness. And you can be loved and accepted by God the Father. That's the message that we have to take to people. What did it take me, 25 seconds to say that? It's not hard. We can learn that, we can tell that, and we can share it with those around us. Let's pray and then I'll have Jimmy come up. Lord, as I prayed earlier, we, uh, we as, in, as a nation are, uh, are in pretty bad shape, Father. We know that we deserve judgment, but we know that we don't want it. We want to ask for mercy instead. Father, the only thing that's going to change people's hearts, um, that's going to fix racism in America, is the gospel. The only thing that is going to fix injustice in America is the gospel. Lord, we do not hope for deliverance in any political party because it just can't get us there. Only the gospel can get us there. So, Father, again, I say I I don't know how you may bring judgment. I know that because you are just, you're going to bring judgment unless you bring repentance So, Father, we pray for repentance. We pray for revival. But, Lord, then we better work for revival. Because, Father, like I said, there's only one avenue with which you will bless this country and by which you will bring a revival, and that is through your church. (coughs) Lord, help us be faithful. Help us carry the message of the gospel. Help us plant churches, help us plant campuses, help us do whatever we can do to reach the unchurched. Father, we all have circles of influence that we need to be busy influencing. Lord, I pray that we would be busy trying to get the gospel to those around us. Lord, I pray that you would help us bring people in the church. Father, there are some that won't come in the church though and Father, I pray that we will go out to them and bring the gospel to them. Lord, give us a passion and a hunger to see souls saved. Father, we want to be a church with a purpose and we know what that purpose is. Lord, again, we don't have to wonder. We don't have to question what our job is. We were told as clearly as could be. So Father, give us the love for you to obey you and get the message out. Father, give us a love for our neighbors that compels us to take the gospel to our neighbors. Lord, we sang earlier that that there's one kingdom that's going to last forever. Father, help us to devote our time, our energy, our treasure to the kingdom that is going to be permanent and last forever. And the only one that is actually righteous enough for us to invest all of our hope in. Lord, I love you and I love America and I pray for her. I pray for revival. But Father, ultimately we know this is not our home. Our home is with you. Lord, help us prepare even now to go there. Help us to invest in that eternal home. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.